welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. You'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 31, or you can turn to page number 322 in the, book, in the Bibles that should be in front of you there. Also, um, I know more and more of us use electronic versions of the Bible, and uh, if you want to pull up the U version, uh, which looks like this, if you don't have the app, that's what the little app looks like, but if you want to go to the U version app, and uh, we have been doing this the last few weeks, but uh, if you go to that and you look at the front screen, on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, there's either it says more or there's a few lines. If you click on that in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, it'll come up where you'll see uh, a section that has a list of things. One of those is events. If you go to the events section, you can either type in Upper Perk Community Church, it should pop up, or if you hit search the area, it might show up. But our outline will be on there for the message, as well as the passage of scripture is right on there. That's in the bottom right-hand corner where it says more, or there's a few lines there. Click on that, go to events, Upper Perk. If you wanna save it, there's a spot to save it, so you can actually save it in your saved events if you wanna go back and look it over, or you wanna remember some of the things that have taken place. So just another tool that we have to be able to help you as you follow along um, in the message today. Well, this has uh, been quite the journey. Today we end a, a journey that's taken us lots of time. Uh, I know Brian remembered the exact date started. I did not look that up. But uh, we have been on a long narrative journey, and uh, it's been an interesting journey. And as we wrap it up today, I hope that you'll be challenged by it, but I will have to warn you, this is not the fairy tale ending that we like to have at the end of stories, where everybody lives happily ever after. It's not the case at all in this situation. In fact, I've entitled today's message, A Tragic Life Meets a Tragic End. A Tragic Life Meets a Tragic End. But before we jump into the heart of the message, let's just think back to the different characters. There were three in particular that really impacted us as we look through the book of 1 Samuel. The first one was Samuel. He was the man who heard from God. That was the first section of the book. And we know from just a few chapters ago that Samuel died relatively quietly. He had a lot of um, folks that were thankful for his ministry. There was a lot of rejoicing in the way he impacted them. But this man who heard from God died a very quiet death. Then you have, secondly, the guy that came on the scene um, was David, the man who was a friend of God. And this man who was a friend of God, he won spectacularly. We just saw what happened, Spencer shared last week, how he was, uh, went down to Ziklag. God spared him from being one of the people that was going to be a part of the battle we're going to talk about today. And God gave them energy to be able to pursue the enemy and to be able to conquer them. And he ends Samuel, 1 Samuel at least, on a high note where he won spectacularly, got back all that they lost plus some from the Ammonites. Or the Am yeah, Ammonites. And then last though, the guy we're going to talk about today is Saul. And he was the man that we talked about all along, ran from God. And he dies tragically. Saul, the man who ran from God, dies tragically. And it's on that note that we now share the last moments of Saul. His tragic life, unfortunately, comes to a tragic end. And we pick up, by the way, where we left off in 1 Samuel 28. In 1 Samuel 28 is where Saul had gone to seek advice 
He was trying to get a hold of God. He couldn't because he wasn't coming to God with a contrite heart. He just wanted more answers. He wasn't coming to God to say, Lord, I've sinned. I want restoration. He was demanding of God that he would tell him what was going to go on and what direction he would go in. So one of the groups that was banned and had been actually wiped out for the most part were witches. And he finds a witch and he goes to her and even startles her, as the Bible says, as Samuel comes walking forth, so to speak, um, and, and talks to Saul and lays out for Saul what was going to happen. That not only was Saul going to die, but his sons were going to die as well. Now, one thing that I don't understand, and there isn't an answer in the scripture, so all we could do is speculate, but when Saul heard that in chapter 28, why wouldn't Saul have then stopped and said, Lord, I've sinned, please spare me, for the, for the heart of his people, that he would have stopped and said, Lord, spare my people, Lord, spare my sons. I've heard this horrific situation that's going to happen where everybody's going to be wiped out. You wonder why he didn't just stop and do everything he could to try to stop this impending doom. Now, perhaps some things took place that we're not aware of, but Scripture, at the end of chapter 28, is silent as it relates to Saul's response to this horrific condemnation that was laid out in front of him. So now we enter into 1 Samuel chapter 31. Let's read verses 1 and 2 to begin. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. I'm always amazed in Scripture how in such a short set of words can hit us in such a powerful way. John 3, 16, for God so loved mankind, the world, that he gave his one and only son, that anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That's a very powerful, life-changing, radical verse in just a few words that gives us hope and that can give us life if we accept that gift of salvation. And yet in two simple verses, everything that led up to this is wiped out, basically. Saul, sons are dead, the army barely gets started. In fact, we see that the battle is lost. Almost from the very beginning, the soldiers flee, they take off and run. It doesn't appear that they even fight that hard and they're gone, they're off the scene, and then his sons die. Now, Saul had four sons altogether. Three of his sons died, and one son wasn't there. We don't know why, but his name was Eshbal beforehand. But if you look further on in a, in a few chapters in 2 Samuel, you're going to see that uh, Abner is going to try to prop up this son of Saul as king, and he sticks in there for a while in the northern kingdom before David takes and is king over the whole nation of Israel. And his name was, though, changed to Ishbosheth. His name means, when it was changed, man of shame. So I'm guessing he probably should have been at this battle, but he wasn't, and he was the fourth son of Saul, but his other three sons died. The soldiers flee, his sons die, the battle's lost. And then the next thing we see in verses three and four, the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and he fell on it. We see in verse three that we have a wounded warrior. As the battle becomes more and more intense, 
The archers get close enough. Remember, this was not a time like in the Middle Ages or the, uh, the, the time of uh, long bows that England had that could go miles practically. Still short distance bows. So the battle had to be pretty intense, had to be pretty close in, and the archers were starting to make an impact on now Saul's inner guard that stayed with him. His, uh, so to speak, bodyguard, the, the troop that was closest to him. And as they get in, Saul becomes wounded, the Bible tells us. Saul, as a result of that wound, figures he's going to die. It must have been a pretty a horrific wound. Maybe he was bleeding a lot. Maybe it was where it hit. But Saul thought that he was going to die, which turned him into a desperate man. And desperation sets into Saul. And unfortunately, Saul does, in his desperation, what he always did during his times of desperation. Rather than calling out to God, he comes up with his own plan. Does that sound familiar to any of the rest of us? When you have points of desperation... Do you call it to God, or do you go to your own bag of tricks? Do you say to God, God, I know this is a really bad time, but i got a couple more things I want to try before I ask you to intervene. We think in our own minds that we're being independent. We think in our own minds we're not troubling God. We think in our own minds, that, and by the way, our fooled minds, that we can somehow get through this and that we don't need God or others. But by the way, you won't find anywhere in Scripture that God doesn't say that he needs to be a part of our decisions and that God doesn't say that we need the people of God around us, especially in our times of desperation. But Saul does what he always does. He comes up with his own plan. So he goes to his armor bearer and says, hey, kill me, because these guys are going to get me. They're probably going to torture me. I don't know what they're going to do. Fear set into that with that desperation. So you got to do something. And the armor bearer, knowing this was the man of God, the man that God had established as the king, said, I can't do that, Saul, and so Saul gets his own sword, and he does something that is not allowed of mankind. Our life is not ours to take, folks. You'll not see that anywhere in Scripture. Our life was birthed by God, and our life will be taken by God, all in God's timing. And we live in a culture that's trying to say that mankind has choice in those and paints the most horrific situations that happen, that our emotions get caught up into it and our feelings get caught up into it. And we think that we should just in these situations have the one calling that God alone has, which is the power of life and death. We don't understand why God allows people to live in the circumstances they live, but we do know that God has a purpose in those. But Saul... Rather than trusting God once again, and in a point of desperation, he falls in his sword and he dies. We have a dead monarch. Saul had come such a long way. He started unsure of himself, hiding in the baggage tent of Israel, although head and shoulders physically above the other Israelites, not mature spiritually. And yet, you see, and leading up into his coronation, you see how he steps up and, and God does some cool things and God's spirit comes upon him. And you see Saul initially seemed to have so much hope, have so much drive and direction, seemingly wants to follow the Lord until times of conflict revealed in Saul's life that he really was all about Saul alone. It was really all about Saul's agenda. That when he was in a corner, he lashed out at others and didn't take responsibility. He accused and blamed others. 
He tried to do things in his timing, in his way. And before we are so quick to judge Saul, I will have to say in my own heart that there's times that my heart mirrors Saul's actions. I say that tragically. And in preparation for this message, even for me to go before the Lord and Lord, forgive me for the times that I feel like I'm in charge of my life. Forgive me for the times that I don't take responsibility for my sins. Forgive me that in my points of desperation, I feel like I can figure it out on my own. Forgive me for the times that I say, God, your word's good for everybody else, but not for me. God, forgive me. I encourage each of you to look at your lives as you shake your head as I do at the tragedy of Saul's life, but make sure you look in your own heart and in your own life. And you determine where you are also acting like Saul acted. So much potential and optimism came to such a horrible end. The fallout is immense. We see in verse number five. In verse five there we pick up, and when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. And they put the armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshaw. To the wall of Bethshaw. See, this fallout. And, and our choices, folks, don't affect just us. Saul, what would have happened if instead of going to that witch, Saul would have taken responsibility and said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, would, would I confess my sins. Now, would he have still continued to be king? No, that was off the plate. But who knows what that ending could have looked like because God has always been a gracious and merciful God and continues to be that way. And the repercussions just continue on. Now his armor bearer, seeing that, overwhelmed and probably wondering, well, they're going to accuse me of killing him. Or what are they going to say? Or, or, or where do I go? And he falls in his own sword. All of Saul's inner guard were all wiped out. It says all his men. It didn't mean all the Israelites. It meant all of his, his inner guards, his bodyguards, so to speak. They were all wiped out. His armor bearer commits suicide. The people run in fear. The loss was so great that a few miles away even, the reserve troops took off, and the people in the cities that were not far away, they all took off. And the Philistines occupy the land. And the place that the battle took place was in the middle. The, the land of the Philistines ran alongside of Israel. And the place they attacked actually was almost in the middle between the northern and southern kingdoms as we know of them in the nation of Israel. So they got this occupied these pivotal locations of strategic importance that really divided the land of Israel, the land that they occupied. And then if that all isn't enough, Saul's body is desecrated. Now, the slaughter must have been so great, or the Philistines just didn't know that they had killed Saul because they waited all the way till the next day until they started going through, and that's how they stumbled across the body of Saul and his sons. Now, why did they cut off his head? That wasn't customary in most of those. 
may have very well been for the fact that David cut off Goliath's head, who was their champion. We don't know that for sure. Then they went, and it was a holiday for them. They went around saying, hey, Saul's dead. The Israelites have been conquered. We're the, we are the victors. They put his armor in the place of, of, of prestige in their God's uh, temple, just like the, Saul, the, the sword of Goliath had been put in the house of God. We know that from previous chapters here in 1 Samuel. And then they took Saul's body, stripped of clothing, armor, and everything, beaten, bruised, wounded, and for the last final act of humiliation, they put it on the wall of one of their cities. Our sin, folks, affects us, but our sin affects so many others. Countless lives were affected. Never, ever, ever think that you are in a bubble. You say, I work in a non-Christian workplace, so who cares if I live the way I want to because you are called to be salt and light there and your life has reverberations. Your life has reverberations in your family, even if you don't think they're having reverberations, they do for the honor and glory of Christ or not. In this church, they do. Your life, do not believe the lie of the devil that your life is in this isolated little bubble and doesn't affect, and your decisions don't affect other people. Now, am I trying to paint this picture that if you do this, you're gonna have the same tragedy that Saul does? Absolutely not. But I am saying to you that we never know what the tragedy will be as a result of the choices we make when we run away from God. I've gone to many prisons. I've sat through many courtroom situations. I've gone to the uh, rescue missions. And I have never ever heard anybody in any of those situations say, yeah, I knew it was coming. The first time I did act one that led me down this path, I knew I'd end up here destitute. I knew I'd end up here behind bars. But I've sat with 18-year-old boys that shot and killed a guy in Milwaukee and couldn't believe the fact. He goes, I just can't believe that he's dead. He must have said that 20 times when I was visiting him. He never planned to do that, and yet he did by the choices that he made. I don't know where your life is leading, but I'm telling you that if you make choices that are constantly against where God's at and constantly against where God wants you to be, there will be tragic repercussions not only on your lives, but on other people that you love dearly and that God puts you around. Now, I do think that it's cool what God decided to do in the midst of this. I love that in the midst of this tragic story that we see a little ray of hope. If you read with me in verse number 13, we see that the people remember. Sorry, I'm sorry, we'll start in verse 11. Verse number 11. <clears throat> and the Bible says this in, in verse 11. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned him there, and they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Yeah, I love it here that in the midst of all this, when your heart is heavy and you're wondering why, you come across this little story of hope. And you see a committed city. Now, if you'll go back with me, I'm not going to do it today, but if you were to go back with me to 1 Samuel 11, way back in our journey, when Saul was just getting started, he wasn't even really embraced by the whole nation as king, and the folks from Jabesh Gilead are, are, are boxed in by the Ammonites. And the Ammonites say to them, if you guys will surrender, we're going to come in, and all the warriors, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna poke out one of their eyes so they can't fight, and we're going to take you guys as our captives. 
And the folks of Jabesh Gilead said, would you give us some time? And they put this plea out to all of their other tribes that were there, not even united as a nation yet. And this was Saul's first chance to be able to step up and be the king God wanted him to be. And he took the challenge properly this time. And he went in, and he got men together with him that rallied around to go and to save the folks of Jabesh Gilead, and they went in and they, they knocked out the tribe of the Ammonites, they saved the people of Jabesh Gilead, and they never forgot. You know, praise God for the folks that enter our life at times of our greatest desperation, and we should never forget. The times when you couldn't even lift your head up, and they were there to put an arm around you to pray with you. The ones that held your arms up when you couldn't even hold them up yourself. The ones that prayed for you when you didn't even feel like you could pray for yourself. Maybe even the ones like Job had for the first seven days at least (laughs) that just sat there and quietly were available. Folks, those are precious people. I encourage you to take time today to reach out to some of them and just say thank you for being there and for never forgetting. And I love this little slice of hope in this tragedy that these individuals who could do nothing for Saul now, but they could right a wrong. They could make sure that their king had a proper burial. They could make sure that they remembered the sacrifice that Saul made when he went out on a limb and tried to gather the soldiers together that they might be saved. So they have this nighttime raid They go into the city, and as far as we know, from what the scripture said, no life was lost, nothing happened. They went in and out smoothly and safely, and everybody got back home with the broken and bruised bodies of the king and his sons. Now, we know, if we read 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Kings, that most of the time, the kings were buried in certain graveyards. So why were they burned here? Most believe because of the condition in which they got the bodies, not only they'd been dead a couple days, but they'd been abused, that the best and most humane thing that they could do is just burn the bodies and bury the ashes. And then what did they do? They gave a time of a final farewell. They fasted for seven days to show respect and admiration for their first king, to show thanksgiving for what he had done, to show Mourning for the first king of their nation. A final farewell, a final act of respect. Because even in all of his horrific choices, Saul did make a difference in people's lives in a positive way. And I just want to remind any of us, no matter how many horrific choices you've made, remember again that we have a God of grace and mercy. He longs for you to come and to confess your sins before him. He longs for you to make broken relationships right to the best of your ability, and he eagerly waits for opportunities to take the scraps of our broken lives and build them into something amazing for his honor and glory that can be used to impact other people. Saul never gave God that opportunity, but praise the Lord for the little slice of the Jabesh Gileites who decided to do the right thing when they could have easily just left those bodies there. I have a couple final thoughts. Today's choices lead to tomorrow's victories and defeats, so choose wisely. Today's choices lead to tomorrow's victories and defeats, so choose wisely. What you invest in today does affect how you will be in the future. 
When David had sinned against God in an egregious way, when he had had his, one of his mighty men killed in battle, his response when he was confronted about his sin was, I have sinned. He took responsibility. David, we've shown from his life how he took responsibility when he didn't do the right thing. And God forgave him and restored him. But every time that Saul had an opportunity where he messed up and he could make it right, every single time he wouldn't take responsibility. Lord, help all of us to realize that your final, your, excuse me, your future victories and defeats are going to be based upon how you currently are making choices in your life. Saul made excuses. Saul shifted blame. Saul allowed jealousy to blind him. And David, when he had opportunity twice to kill Saul, showed grace and mercy. You see the paths of these two individuals start so close and yet end so much different because the choices they made day by day led to the victories and defeats that they both experienced. So folks, I'm going to tell you to choose wisely. The people that are your closest friends today affect your victories and defeats. The things that you choose to spend your time doing affect your victories and your defeats. The things you choose to watch, the people you choose to interact with, the thoughts that you allow to take root in your mind, they all affect your victories and your defeats in the future, so choose wisely. The second thought is God will not be mocked, and you are not the exception. God will not be mocked, folks. And you and I are not the exception. You cannot think that if you come into this church once a week and punch your spiritual time clock and that God's gonna put a smiley face on your, on your shirt and say you're good to go for the week, that that's all Christianity is. No, that's just stopping by. I remember one time at my former church I was on staff and we were talking about asking certain peoples to be you know, in different roles of that and one of the guys that said there he goes well I don't know about them being active but I know they stop by occasionally when we call ourselves a Christian it's because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ not because we just don't want to be called another name and when we call ourselves a Christian it means that we've begun a relationship with Jesus Christ and as we obediently follow Christ the Spirit of God sanctifies us and we become more like Christ. And that means there's things in our life that God's gonna point out, that God's gonna refine, that God's gonna do in us and through us as a result of that process. But God also gives us the free will that if we choose to say, no, I won't be uncomfortable, God. No, I won't be obedient, God. No, I won't do that, God. You gotta realize that at the end of time, at the end of your life, at the end of that, that chapter of your book, that everything's not just gonna be peaches and cream then. There's repercussions from that. And please don't go around touting to the world that you're a child of God and living like you're not. Deal with your sin if you're a child of God. Make relationships right if you're a child of God. Make God's priorities your priorities. But don't mock God by the choices and the life that you live because you are not the exception. But Pastor John, what about when God held the sun still for a day? Yes, God can do what God decides. And God split the Red Sea. And God sent fire down the licked up water. But those were very rare, and they were always for God's honor and glory, not just to get you out of a pinch. When Elijah prayed on Mount Carmel and asked 
fire to come down from heaven. He didn't go, Lord, I messed up this time. I should not have done this. This was ridiculous that I would pour water on a sacrifice. What was I thinking, God? No, you know what he prayed? He said, God, I want you to send water, fire down from heaven to lick up this water that they might know that you're God. I want my life to be able to be an example to other people so that they can know my God, not John Buckley. Because everybody here knows the faults and failures of John Buckley. But praise the Lord, I have a God that forgives and restores and grows as we're on this journey together. My last thought for you is a good start doesn't mean a good finish. So think before you act. A good start does not mean a good finish so think before you act. I have met with young people. When I was a youth pastor, I remember a guy named Jamie. He came from a broken home, and I would pick him up every Tuesday morning early, and we went to what is, I don't know what it's called now, but it was O'Grady's in Souderton, and I took him to breakfast, and I must have done that for a year or two. And we went through the Bible, and he went on missions trips, so he grew in the Lord, and today, Jamie would call himself an atheist. Wow, what did I do wrong? Nothing. I was obedient. I'm confident in what I shared with him and what I taught him. I don't know what happened, but I was obedient to what God wanted me to do. Jamie had a good start, but he doesn't have a good finish so far, but his story's not over. And when we are alongside people's journey, it's not about the outcome that we can focus on, it's about the obedience that we focus on. So don't look at others and go, well, man, look at what they're doing. I want to follow them, though, because they look so much more successful. But is that the path God wants you to be on? We need to be on the path God wants us to be on. But don't look, too, at other individuals just, just because they have a good start that everything's going to finish hunky-dory. And don't think that of your own life. But, Lord, I grew up in a Christian home. Lord, I go to church every Sunday. Lord, I put money in the offering plate. Lord, I read the Bible. So don't I get some bonus points for that? That's not the way the Christian life works. Folks, it's warfare. Every day, what does God say? You gotta put that armor on every day. There are no vacation days in the Christian life. So you put the armor on. Put the belt of integrity, the breastplate of righteousness in our feet, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And I do that on Monday. And then Tuesday, I get up and I put on the, the, the belt of integrity and the breastplate of righteousness in my feet and you go on every single day because the warfare is intense because the devil wants to take you out of the action. What, however he can. So don't live on yesterday's victories and don't think that a, a good start means a good finish. You gotta think before you act. I'm 51 years old now. And there's one thing that I thought would happen when I turned 50. Nobody told me this. I didn't know where I got it. But I thought at 50, life would get easier. I mean, I've been a Christian for quite a while now. My wife and I got married in 1990. So for those of you who can do the math, that means that I've been married 29 years. And I thought that at this age of our marriage that I would have gotten this a whole lot better than I seem to still mess up on. There's no guarantees on that, why? Because I still deal with the stinking rotten flesh every day and the world in which I live in every day. And I've also learned this, a lot of times when guys hit 50 and above, the other tragedy is I see guys that never were serious younger, they just played the game and as they get older, they're usually the ones that crash and burn because the roots were just never there for them to grow. And that's a tragedy for those above 50, and it's a tragedy because they're not going to be able to invest in the ones that are under 50. So every day is a new day, folks. I love that God says, his mercies 
are new, how often? Every morning, every day. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, Lord, for that. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a good God. And we praise you and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to hear your word today, Lord. Thank you that although this is a tragic end to a tragic life, that we can learn so much. And Lord, today is a new day. And Lord, I know there's some out here today that might say, I don't even know Christ as my Savior. And I pray that today, Lord, they'd realize the importance of accepting that free gift from you. Lord, I pray for Christians that are discouraged and defeated. The devil's got them on the ropes, so to speak, Lord, and they just need to be reminded today of your promises and that your mercies are new every day. Lord, I pray for Christians, Lord, that are apathetic. Father, I plead with you that you would do whatever is necessary to wake them up from their slumber, that you would help them, Lord, to not have a view of themselves in the focal point, Lord, but they would have their gaze fixed on you. Lord, we want to be a church that's empowered to accomplish the things that you've called us to do. And we ask all of this in your precious name. Amen.